Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us at Life Family Church Podcast. We exist to reach, disciple, and empower people to live in the fullness of God. If you're new to our church or want to learn more about us and what we believe, you can check us out online by simply going to lifefamilychurch.net. We hope you enjoy this week's message. 25, and we're going to read out of the Passion Translation of the Word of God. The subtitle that I have here in the Passion Translation above, verse 25, says, Don't worry. It's a good thing right there. Don't worry. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, it says this, This is why I tell you to never be worried about your life. For all that you need will be provided. That's that right there. I, that'll preach right there all by itself. Such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Isn't there more to your life than a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? No. I'm sure today a bird somewhere had a worm. I I guarantee guarantee it. I bet you a bird had a nightcrawler, too. I'm just telling you, one of those big worms, you know, because God's more than enough. He's all sufficient. He fills to the full. Your every need. Look at the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food, yet your heavenly Father provides for them each with their own food. Aren't you much more valuable to your Father than they? So which of you, by worrying, could add anything to your life? And why would you worry about clothing? Look at the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil. Yet even Solomon in all of his splendor was robed in beauty more than one of these. So if God has clothed the meadow with hay, which is here for a short time and then dried up and burned, won't he provide for you the clothing you need, even though you live with such little faith? So then, forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what we should wear? For that is what unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly Father already know the things that your body requires? So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these lesser important things will be given to you in abundance. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. How powerful is that? Now, isn't it interesting? He made a very powerful statement here. He says, constantly chase after God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these things. Now, I think the King James says, you know, that you are to pursue righteousness. For my God shall supply all you need according to his riches in glory. But my God will, you got to pursue righteousness. Righteousness is right standing with God. Or God's ways of doing and being right. That's what righteousness is. So he gives us kind of an encouragement. Don't worry about your life. Don't be concerned what you got to wear. Don't be concerned about your bills. Don't be concerned about anything. Listen, God provides for the animals and they don't sow and they don't reap and they don't work. And God provides for them. Did you know that the number one miracle that Jesus did was a provision miracle? John chapter 2, he turned water into wine. 
That was the very first miracle that he did. It was a provision miracle. Do you know when you go back to the Garden of Eden, God made the world and the earth and he made the Garden of Eden and he placed man and woman in that garden. And he said, listen, it's yours. Take, just take care of it. You have more than enough. You have more than plenty. You know, I, I'm always bothered by these commentary people that always seem to think that we're running out of resources and we're running out of room and <laughs> things like that. They're always, they're always telling you, we're running out of room. The populace is getting more and more and more. No, what happens is, is people start living on top of one another. Praise God. Amen. Because if you go to the city of New York, there's no room to expand. I mean, it's either the ocean or another state. So they start living on top of one another, and then they start saying, oh my gosh, we have a famine of this, and we have a famine of that, and we, there's no place to live, and just, oh my gosh, we're running out of room. Well, go out to Wyoming. I've been out to Wyoming. I understand why they call it Wyoming. It's really wide roaming, and they just put <laughs> Wyoming in there. That's what the, that's, I've been out there. There's nothing out there. Move out there with the wolves and the cactuses. Believe me, you'll be alone. Now, the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. What does that mean? He never runs out of anything. So if the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, that means he has a full supply. He'll provide for you a full supply. Don't worry about anything. Come on now. Hello. This is not Reebok's world. It's our world. He gave it to us. Amen. If the earth is the Lord's and we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, then guess what? The earth is ours and the fullness thereof. Listen, poverty and lack is under the curse. And we're no longer under the curse of the law. Come on, hello somebody. Jesus became a curse for us in the book of Galatians chapter 3. He said, cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. That means poverty, lack, sickness, disease. It's, it was hung on Jesus Christ so that you and I don't have to be sick, broke, busted, or disgusted. Can you say amen? amen. He has a full supply. So take no thought for your life of what you shall eat or what you shall put on. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. But no, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, God is a conditional God. God has his part. We have our part. God never misses on his part. Amen. That's just the way he operates. He gave humanity two free wonderful gifts. One, the gift of life. So in reality, you're never going to die. You just transfer locations. You're going to, like, live forever. Amen. Like eternities, eternities. Millenniums upon millenniums upon millenniums. That means they're going to live forever. That's one gift. The second gift he gave humanity was the gift of a free will. Your free will will never be righted while you're on this earth, ever. There will be only one day that humanity's free will will be overridden. And it will be at the day of judgment, the great white throne judgment, when every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It doesn't matter if you're a Satanist, a Buddhist, a Hindu, an agnostic, an atheist, a Satan, whatever. Whatever you think, whatever. Don't believe, do believe. There'll be an unseen hand of his presence that will come upon every human being. So that's the reason why I like to kneel now. I like to raise my hands now. I like to prostrate now. Come on, hello somebody, amen. I don't want to be forced by an unseen hand. That's the reason why I confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Now he tells us, take no thought for your life. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry, don't worry about it. It's like paying, you know, playing that bash fish thing, you know. Don't worry. 
be happy. Come on, you ever seen that bass fish? <laughs> you walk by it and it turns its head towards you. You're like, whoa, right? And it sings that song. Don't worry, <laughs> be happy. Oh, 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 oh. You're like, my, my God, turn that. Get a knife, cut the head off that sucker. Praise <laughs> God. <laughs> you know, like, get rid of it. You know. So he says, so don't be concerned. Just do God's ways of doing and being right. Haven't we realized by now that when we start doing things our way, it always doesn't work out? But when we always do things God's way, it always seems to work out. Why? Because he's a good God. Can you say amen? Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 13. The last few nights we've been talking about a God-sustained revival. And it goes far beyond just a scheduled meeting. Not that scheduled meetings aren't good and aren't right. We should have scheduled meetings, times of refreshing. Acts 3.19 says, Repent ye therefore that times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So there's nothing wrong. But I'm talking about when God falls on a city or God falls on a community. Uh, They coined a phrase in the Hebride Island revival with Duncan Campbell, a strange consciousness of God fell on the community. So we've been talking about that, and we gave examples last night in the Word of God, and we also gave examples in revival history in the last 100 years where there seems to be a strange consciousness of God falling on communities. Now we know that Smith Wigglesworth prophesied 100 years from the Azusa Street Revival or thereafter, there would come another revival that would actually be an accumulation of every move of God since the day of Pentecost. That means all through the 1700s and the 1800s and the early 1900s and the middle of the 1900s or so, before we hit 2000, we we see an accumulation since the day of Pentecost. I hear preachers a lot, well, God's sovereign. If he wants to move, he'll move when he wants to move. Yes, well, 2,000 years ago, there was a sovereign move of God, and it's continued to today. Can you say amen? It was the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You have to remember that God is constant. His power is constant. It's you and I. We either get in it or we get out of it. I remember Oral Roberts made a statement. He said, miracles are passing you by every single day. It's whether you get in front of one or not. We talked a little bit about John Wesley and Charles Finney and Maria Woodworth Etter. Maria Woodworth Etter wrote a book called A Diary of Signs and Wonders. It's a 650-page book. I read it in a week. She talked about when people would dance in the Holy Ghost. It was literally, if your eyes would be open to the spirit realm, you'd see the glory of God on them. I remember many years ago when Brother Hagin was doing some camp meetings, and somebody asked Brother Hagin, and they said this, you know, and this was like in the 1940s and 1950s, and it was the latter years before he died, and they said, Brother Hagin, why is it that we saw a powerful move of God in the 1940s and 50s, and we really don't see a really powerful move of God today? And he said, well, they were more consecrated 40 to 50 years ago. The church was more consecrated. So there has to do with something about holiness and pureness. It has something to do with crying out to God in desperation. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 says, If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be filled. But the hunger and thirst has to come first. We talked a little bit about, you know, what is it that creates a move of God? What really creates, you know, uh, for God to move? What moves the hand of God when it comes to revival? It's hunger. Spiritual hunger triggers the move of God. If there's a group of people that aren't hungry for the things of God... 
Smith Wigglesworth made a very powerful statement. He said this. He said that God would move over a thousand people to touch one hungry heart. We know that's true to be biblical because the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5, she was desperate. She was dying. The doctors gave her up. The Bible says she pressed through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. And when she did that, she got her miracle. Not a people pressing on Jesus that day, but one touched him in desperation. One touched him in faith and got her miracle. We know that to be true with blind Bartimaeus. He had a garment on, signifying that he was an invalid, signifying that he was a beggar. They, they would put garments on people that would have issues. One day, Jesus was passing by with a crowd. Blind Bartimaeus started crying out in a loud voice, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. The people around Jesus that were going, they told him, Shh, quiet, we're having church. Y'all didn't get that. Praise God. Amen. But what did he do? He cried all the more, right? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Stop the Lord right in the middle of his tracks. He hears the faintest cry. See, there's something about spiritual hunger. There's something about crying out to God. We know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. That's what the Bible says. He was a wee little man. He was probably picked last on every baseball team in junior high school. He was, when it came to kickball, nobody wanted, he was the only one left standing in the line and the coach had to pick. You know, okay, you got Z over there. And everybody went, oh, man. He's like, I'll show you all. When I get older, I'll become a tax collector and I'll take all your money. <laughs> One day, little Z wanted to see Jesus. But the crowd wouldn't let him get back, Z. Little man, you. So what did he do? Climbed up in a tree. Got God's attention. He stopped right there. The God of the universe stopped right there and said, Hey, hey, yo, Z, come on down. Okay, Lord, I'm coming down. Uh, by the way, Lord. In the, he started confessing. He started confessing and says, uh, Lord, uh, if I've taken anybody's money I, unjustly, I'll just tell you right now, I'm going to give it back to them, and then I'll double it out of my own thing. It's the most amazing thing when you get around people that are full of the Holy Ghost is that you start confessing all your sins. You see, spiritual hunger goes beyond the norm. It goes beyond the crowds. Maybe you got to shout a little shouter, a little louder than other people shout. Maybe you got to press in a little more than what other people are pressing in. Maybe if you're so desperate, you got to come up in the tree to see Jesus. Jesus! Just like that. So spiritual hunger is one of the key elements to a move of God. When can you expect a revival? Well, when society begins to become worse and worse. And society and the things of the world and the fleshly things of the world begin to creep into the church. We're seeing that. We're messages that go forth that tickle the ears of the hearers. And no longer causes conviction by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just shut up in, 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 in a sanctuary where he cannot move or he's limited to a back room. I remember when I was traveling extensively, I was reading uh, this magazine. I'm not going to tell you, it was a very famous magazine. And they were interviewing someone. I, if I were to mention their name, you would know them. But I'm not going to mention their name. But I read in this, and they were doing a 
kind of an article on him because he was a very famous, very famous preacher. And the, the commentator said, to ask a question, we understand that your father was a Pentecostal preacher. Is that true? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, how do you handle Pentecostalism in such a large church as you have? And this is what he said. He said, well, you know, there's only certain things that we can do. So therefore, what we do is we have back rooms, see? And if those that really want God or really need prayer or need healing or want the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we just tell the crowd, you know, we got some back rooms over there in the back if you want prayer, if you... And I started to weep on the plane. I said, my God, have we resorted to the place that we stick to the Holy Ghost in the back room and it's almost like, well, if you walk by there and you really want to go in there, you can. That's it? That broke my heart. Broke my heart. I don't see that in the Bible. I see after the day of Pentecost, people were bold. They were winning the lost. The, the blind were seeing. The deaf were hearing. The lame were walking. Man, it spread like wildfire. And I believe in these last days, in the days that you and I are living room, whether we have five years, ten years, or twenty years, it's going to take some time. Hello, there's seven billion people on the planet. Hello, somebody. And this gospel shall be preached in all the worlds. Then the end shall come. And even right now, Somebody's being raised from the dead. Right now, somebody that's blind is seeing. Right now, somebody's deaf is hearing. Right now, somebody that's got demons are being cast up. An altar call is taking place somewhere in the earth right now. And souls are coming in by the multitudes. One of the key things is not only spiritual hunger, but another key is how do you yield to the Spirit of God? There's got to come a yielding. A surrender. In the book of Romans chapter 6 verse 13 out of the King James Version says this, Neither yield your members as instruments unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. In Romans uh, 6.13 out of the Passion Translation it, it says this, So then refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to Him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. You live now for His pleasure, ready to be used for His noble purpose. Remember this, sin will not conquer you, for God already has you. You are not governed by the law, but governed by the reign of the grace of Almighty God. One of the key things is, we've been bought with a price. We are no longer our own. That means the decisions that we make that are outside of the will of God, we get ourselves into trouble. But God would never leave you, lead you into trouble. He always leads you by still waters. He always leads you by the paths of righteousness. He always leads you into green pastures. He restores your mind, will, and emotions. He's the God that leads you in the right. But when we choose to lead our own lives, it leads us into trouble. It leads us us into fleshly motives. It leads us into places where we got to cry out and say, God, can you save me? And because of his grace and because of his mercy, he will come and he will deliver you and he will make the crooked path straight. He will set you on the right path because you are his and he is yours. 
We all have to learn to yield to the Holy Ghost. Many years ago, Pastor Marie said to me, she said, Honey, you're always encouraging people, drink from the river of God. Drink from the well of living water. Receive from the Holy Ghost. She said, I think most people want to, but maybe they just don't know how. I was like, that's that's brilliant there, Sherlock. Husbands, if you would turn your ear to your mother and to your wife, um, to your mother, not your mother-in-law, praise God. No, I'm just kidding. To your, to your wife's mouth, many times, many, many times, it's wisdom from heaven. It is wisdom from heaven. So I thought, oh, oh yeah, maybe we have to teach people how to drink. Maybe we have to teach people how to yield. Maybe we have to teach people how to dance in the Holy Ghost. I think most people want to, but maybe they just don't know how. What kind of messages are we hearing now in the body of Christ? Are we talking about how to operate in faith? How to cast out devil? Room 101, how to cast a devil out of somebody. Room 102, how to let the bubble, the joy bubble out of your belly. Room 303, how to get people out of wheelchairs. Room 404, how to make the blind see and the deaf hear. Room 105, when the Spirit of God gets to moving, you either shout, run, dance. When worship hits the place, you lift your hands. You bow down on the ground. Room 7, there's going to be a lot of people in room one, (laughs) a lot of people in heaven learning how to lift their hands in church. When the music is playing, clap, praise God. It doesn't matter if it's black or white or red or purple, just clap, even if it's offbeat. I, I know I got some South African in me. Because I clap on beat. I got it in me, man. I got it in me. I'm just telling you right now. I just got it in me. Word. Okay. Well, I got it in me. I got it in me. Oh, my gosh. May the Lord help me. All right. So, yielding. You got to learn to yield. Let me ask this question. How many of you speak in tongues in here? Okay. Put your hands down. The same place tongues come from is the same place the joy comes from. The same place the joy comes from is the same place that miracles come from. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is where? On you, inside of you. It's on the inside of you. So what's the struggle? It's the same struggle the, the apostle Paul had. He said, I don't do the things I should do. I do the things I shouldn't do. Oh, the wretched man that I am. I find myself betwixt between these two things. That which my recreated spirit by the Holy Spirit wants to do. And then that which my flesh in this world wants to do. You will struggle with that flesh to the day you die. So what do you have to do? You have to do what John the Baptist. I must decrease. He must increase. So you have to yield your lives to the power of another. 
if Satan demonizes people and they're full of the devil, a devilish spirit, then I want to be possessed too by the Holy Spirit. Come on, hello, somebody. I made mention to you last night. Smith Wigglesworth, after a meeting, got on a train and sat down. He said hello to the guy, sat down. Ten minutes into the train trip, the man that sat next to him didn't even know who this guy was and suddenly out of his mouth said, My God, man, you convict me of sin. Why? He was just so full of God. That fragrance of the Holy Spirit oozed out of him. How would you like to be so full of God that you get on a bus or you get on a plane or you get into a taxi or you get into an elevator with four or five people? And you're standing there because the air sucks out of an elevator with four or five people. Nobody says, hello, how you doing? It's always bleep, bleep. Some people get so nervous on an elevator, they actually, when the doors open, they get off on the wrong floor. (laughs) But how would you like to be so full of the Holy Ghost? You just walk, you walk on an elevator and everybody falls under the power of God. After one of the particular meetings with Catherine Coleman, she had finished her service. She was so full of the Holy Ghost and power. She was going to make her way to the back of the building where the car was to take her to the, to the hotel. As she came off the platform, she was, and this is, I think it was at a hotel or something, she had to make her way through the kitchen where all the kitchen staff was in there. As she walked into the kitchen staff and began to walk by the cooks, they started falling under the power of God. Boom, 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 boom. The people, late night meals were, you know, they didn't arrive until like an hour later. When we did our first crusade in San Juan, Dominican Republic, over 40,000 people there, we took our very first team of 16 people to the Dominican Republic. Did a three-night crusade. On the last night of the crusade, the play, the field was just packed out. The hotel was next to it. Who, did, is there anybody who came with us on that trip? Okay. Okay. So, uh, after the last night, usually the last night of the crusade, I'll step off the platform and I'll go through the crowd to pray for people. So when I stepped off the platform to the right, the whole crowd shifted to their left. Now, that can be kind of dangerous, okay, because people could get crushed. So as I'm making my way, Pastor Marie grabbed a hold of my belt loop in the back, holding on for dear life. People were coming. The crowd was pressing, started to press. I understand what it means to be in a press. I know what that's like. And so and you're trying to get, make way, and people are pressing. So you know what I started doing? I started waving my hand. As I'm waving my hand, people are falling out of the way, falling, and they're making a pathway for us to step over as we're making our way to the hotel. And we walked all the way to the hotel because it was right on the corner. As we walked to the hotel, the whole entire team, the whole crowd followed us in front of the hotel. We made our way into the courtyard, and we made our way into the hotel. As we did, the people started crowding the hotel lobby. So what do you do? You lay hands on them. Praise God. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. They're all laid out in the, in the hotel lobby. They're pressing in. They, the, the staff came to us and said, listen, you've got to go into the restaurant. There's nobody in there. Go to the restaurant. Close the doors. We've got to get these people off the property. 
So the whole team came into the restaurant. We all sat down, and nobody said anything. And you could count 1,001, 1,002, and we all burst out in tears, started weeping uncontrollably because we had the realization of Jesus being in a crowd and people trying to get to them. Could you imagine? Could you imagine Plant City pressing in to touch the hem of your garment? Because the power of God is flowing through you. Amen. You see, I, I believe that this outpouring that God is doing, and I believe it's begun. I really do. Even it might be just a little bit of a sprinkling. I believe the former and the latter rain has begun. You, I'm telling you, there is a stirring in the body of Christ. There's a stirring that's happening, not only in the United States of America, in the churches that will want revival, that want to flow with revival. I believe there's a stirring in the world, in the nations of the world. Amen. For years, evangelists, crusaders have talked about taking an entire nation for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what happened. In 2013, that first event took place. How many came to Honduras with us? What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? In 2013, we brought to Honduras not only 17 other crusade evangelists in which we partnered with, but over 2,500 missionaries from the United States of America flew into the country of Honduras for nine days. And San Pedro Sula got on like 10 big Greyhound buses. The entire team went through the entire nation of Honduras. It affected President Lobo Sosa all the way to the janitor in the high school. Every high school, every junior high school, the entire presidential cabinet, the army, military, ed, Department of Education, we had free reign. We rented 18 crusade um, stadiums. And we called it One Nation One Day. And 1.5 million people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ in nine days. Amen. I told a pastor that more than like six months ago. He said, I've never heard anything like that in all my life. I said, brother, plug in. Plug in. There's probably a lot of things you've never heard before. What God is doing. You got to plug in. Get out. Get outside the box. Get out of your five block radius. Hey, Doctor Jack, you you really think outside the box, don't you? And I tell him, No, I don't have a box. <laughs> don't put me in a box. I don't have a box. Two years later, Dominic Russo went to the country of Dominican Republic. Two years later, we went to the country. Where did we go? What was it? May help me. Belize. A crusade evangelist went through the entire country of Belize. Belize only has 300,000 people in the country. This year, Dominic Russo is doing the country of Peru. We're going to the Dominican Republic in June, and then we're going to Burma in November to do Master Miracle Healing Crusades. Don't tell me that we're not living in the last days, and that God is moving, and the harvest is being reaped. I thought, my God, my schedule is picked up. Going to Michigan to do a revival. Going to Texas. Going play. Come on, hello. I'm thinking, man, my schedule this year has been more full than it has been in recent years. I didn't have to knock on any doors. Come on, hello. Sometime, you know, in traveling ministry, you banging on doors. Can I come? Can I come? Can I? No. I thought, my God, it's got to be a move of God if people are asking me to come to their church. I'm just saying, <laughs> it's got to be. It's got to be a move of God. 
Not more than a few weeks ago, I was in a church service. I had a guy afterwards tell me, I'm never coming to another meeting in your church. I was like, really? Why is that? He said, I don't believe in that falling out thing. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. It's the most amazing thing, what you will believe when you need a miracle. That'll change your tune. And then they'll go to some place where they'll go. To, they know where to find you. They may not like you at first, but then if they got cancer, or they'll, oh, could you, could you pray for me? Most amazing how they changed their tune. So what do we do? We got to learn to press in. We got to learn to yield. Learn to surrender. Listen, if a Muslim bow down five times a day to the east to a false dead god, I've seen them. I've seen them. I recently, I think Chrissy told me that the, the gentleman across the street here, he's a Muslim and he owns this place. God bless him, nothing down. But she said that when he closed up his shop, he rolled out his prayer cloth right there on the sidewalk and bowed down to the east. And we're just trying to get people to come to church. Let alone raise their hands, let alone worship God, the one true living God. I had another preacher tell me, well, you know what, if you take the Koran, and if you take the Book of Mormon, and you take the Jehovah's Witnesses, and you put the Bible, and if you ask somebody if there's any difference, and there's like, there's no difference. They're all good books. They all got wisdom in it. They're all good books. There is a difference. We were in the country of Nepal in 2010. We did a mass miracle healing crusade in Sirket, Nepal. First one ever in history. Over 6,000 Buddhists attended that. You have to understand that in the Buddhist religion and in the Hindu religion, if you turn to another religion, then you lose your inheritance. The, the family kicks you out on the street. They, they, they excommunicate you. So we had over 6,000 people. So why would a Buddhist change and lose their inheritance, possibly lose their family members, be excommunicated, thrown out on the street? In 2019, something radical has to happen to an individual to go, I'm willing to go under persecution for my family, and not only that, my neighborhood, my friends, my relatives, and total rejection. What has to happen? Because, see, you can preach the gospel over there and have no power. It's just another meeting. But when you preach the gospel and the power of God comes back, this is what helps people convert to Jesus Christ. It's when the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame Walk when lives are changed. We may not be able to see God physically with our eyes. I don't know about you, but I've never seen God. I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen angels, and I've never seen demons. So there are some people that see things all the time. I don't. I've had people walk up to me and say, Brother Jack, did you see the angel in the back room? I said, no, I didn't see it. Oh, it was huge. So did it radically change you? Well, yeah, I'm growing every day. I think to myself, if I saw an, a huge angel, most of the time when I see it, if there's an angel that appears, where do people end up? On the ground. But the Bible says, blessed is he who believes and has not seen. But you can certainly feel the presence of God. You can certainly have an encounter with God. 
So how does one yield? You have to open up your heart. Remember I said to you last night that God is a God of the heart. Nine times out of ten we get ourselves into trouble because our hearts aren't right. If the heart is the root of the matter, that's where God can do His greatest work. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will take out the stony heart. I will put in a heart of flesh, a new spirit I will put within you. Yielding to the Spirit of God. The Webster's definition for the word yield means this. To allow, to concede, we yield that there's a God. To permit, to grant, to yield due praise, to give up the contest, to submit. Oh my gosh, some people think that's a four-letter word right there. To submit. To comply with, give way, not to oppose, to give place, to surrender. I like that word, surrender. To surrender. To surrender. See, the mental struggle in people's minds goes the gamut. A lot of people think, how could God ever forgive me? I've done so much. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. How could He ever forgive me? But He forgives. His motivation behind His forgiveness is love. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love because God is love. That's His motivation. And when you surrender and you give up the contest, oh, does He flood you with His love. And His love is His presence. And His presence is tangible. It's real. 120 seconds under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, 20 years of counseling will not do. A good definition of surrendering would be, don't resist. Many years ago, I was in a church, an Assembly of God church, in Grove, Oklahoma. Glenn and Karen Starr was their name. We were at Rhema. It was our first year at Rhema. And we went there every other weekend and held revival service our first year at Rhema. Nine months. Got to a point where a revival broke out and we were having moves of God and got out to the district superintendent and somebody called and just really tried to blow the sucker up. One particular service, there was a preacher that came. He was a Church of Christ preacher. Brought about five or six of his family members, brought some congregation members. He was sitting in the back, about six rows in the back. So I'm preaching, I'm preaching, and I ended my preaching, and then it comes time to demonstrate the power because Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 says that Jesus went about the villages preaching, teaching, and healing. So the gospel is the preaching and the teaching that leads to the demonstration of the Holy Ghost and power. If we eliminate the Holy Ghost and power, we have a form of godliness denying the power of the gospel to change people's lives and hearts. So about the, about the third night or so, he's back there. So I started to make my way. And I started to pray for people. And they were falling into the power of God. So I saw him standing there. I said, sir, can I pray for you? He crossed his arms and looked at his snarl face on me. And it, I said, okay, God bless you. That's wonderful. You know? So I prayed for somebody else, you know, and they fell into the power of God. Felt prompted of the Lord. Go pray for him again. He said, can I pray for you? He said, no. No. I said, okay, that's cool. Pray for somebody else, fell in the power of God, felt led of the Lord. Go back, go back. You know, I, I can be kind of stubborn that way, praise God, amen. So I just, can I pray for you? No. I said, okay, cool. So I walked back up and everything. I'm about to close the service. And I said, 
you know, we're, we're going to be here uh, again tomorrow night. We're going to kind of, and suddenly he, he moved like lightning out of the pew, ran to the front, started, said to me, he said, he lifted his, he's like standing, he goes, listen, man, I won't. I want God more than anything. I said, you want God more than anything? He said, I want God more. I said, lift your hand. He lifted his hand. I said, in the name of Jesus. Bam! He hit the floor. His wife fell out on the power of God on the floor. His whole family, they jumped up and started shouting, glory to God! Glory to God! <laughs> Come to find out that this Church of Christ preacher leaned over to all of his family and some of his congregation. He, says, he said, this guy's a fake. I'm going to go up there and prove that this falling out stuff is a fake. That it doesn't exist. It's not real. Bam! On the floor he went. It, it, was, just, it, it was just a Saul-Paul experience. That's all it was. It, it was an Acts chapter 9 experience. You know, because God hit Saul so hard, knocked the S off his name and stuck a P there. Praise God. Amen. That's a pretty hard hit. I'll just say it right now. I got hit. So the next night, guess where he's sitting? On the front row. <laughs> on the front row. Sitting on the front row. When it came time to the ministry time, you know, all of a sudden he got up and he grabbed me. He grabbed me, bear hugged me. I mean, I couldn't breathe. I'm like, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, from me to you, from you to me, from you to me. And I'm thinking, okay, that's pretty desperate. <laughs> just grabbed a hold of me. And then I thought to myself, if he'll just grab a hold of God, Amen. just like that, if he'll just cry out after God, don't have to cry out after a man, you cry out after God. God will hear your cry. He will, when he passes by, he'll hear your cry. And he'll put his treasure in your earthen vessel. And he'll set you on fire. Yielding, yielding, surrendering. I think sometimes we're just so stuck in religious tradition behind our chairs and behind our pews. Why can't we just get out of the pews? Why can't we just get out of the chairs? Why can't we just come to the front? Why, why do preachers have to motivate the body of Christ? Is it because they just don't know? Possibly. Is it the religious restrictions? Is it, is it an examination of oneself or what people think if I kneel? What if I kneel by my chair? What if I get out and I prostrate? People will be looking at me. Well, you know, the thing is, is have, you, have you ever wanted to do that? Have you ever just wanted to kneel by your chair? You ever wanted to prostrate or something like that? Nobody in this room ever wanted to do that? Okay. <laughs> my God, let me help you. I mean, that's why we're here tonight, to kind of help you move beyond yourself. Praise God. Amen. No, but you didn't do it because you thought maybe, oh, you know, people are going to be looking at me. I'll be embarrassed. Well, I got good news for you. The person next to you was thinking the same thing. Praise God. And the person next to you was thinking the same thing. And the person next to you. So you know what? Just get all connected. Praise God. Amen. Because you're the family of God. And just move. Because how can fire fall on an empty altar? If he says, come and make a sacrifice... That means you've got to crawl up on that altar. And you can make an altar here, or you can make an altar by your seat, or you can make an altar in a hallway. You can make an altar in your car. You can make an altar. But you're climbing up on that sucker to decrease. 
The more you're under the anointing, the more you'll change. That's what the anointing does. That's the reason why we do one service and two services and three services and four services. I believe we're starting to get back to those one-week, two-week, three-week revivals. My friend Richard Moore just finished three weeks of revival up in Virginia, I think it was. You're going to start, and then suddenly, it's, just not, it's not just going to be in one place, folks. Let me tell you, this last time in move will be fires everywhere. Because in the last 100 years or so, there have only been certain regions. I, when I was traveling essentially, I went to Michigan, and I, I, I talked to a pastor up there. I said, have you heard about what's happening, you know, down south with the joy breaking out? And he's like, what? What are you talking about? Hey, haven't you heard about the Toronto outpouring? The Toronto what? Have you heard about the Brownsville outpouring, Brownsville, Pensacola? The Pensacola what? Haven't you heard about the Smithton outpouring with Stephen Cowdery? Smithton what? <laughs> Haven't you heard about the Argentina revival? Where the, the pouring out of the Spirit of God? Argentina what? Come on. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be a fire <laughs> lit in the body of Christ. And it's going to sweep across the earth. The whole, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. Well, oh, I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And it'll be a... It'll, the, there will... I'm really. (laughs) (laughs) Serious, I got a little woozy just now. It'll sweep the whole earth. And people won't have time to get flaky or take the credit. And it won't blow up this time. God will do a quick work. There will be a huge quick harvest. And then we just get on out of here. Hallelujah. And we'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven solid years. Because it's a big, big house with a big, big table with lots and lots of food with a big, big yard where we can play football. Praise God. Amen. Matt will like that. Matt and James will like that. Man, I'm really feeling it. I mean, is, am I just, is it just me? Or am I, no, okay, thank God. <laughs> Woo! Surrendering, 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 surrendering. Really, yielding is surrendering to the anointing of God and whatever He wants to do in your life. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what people say. 
It doesn't matter what they're going to do to you because they're going to say it anyway. They're going to do it to you anyway. It doesn't matter. No, what really matters is you pressing into the Most High God. He said it in James chapter 4. Draw close to me and I will draw close to you. It's not like I think I'll draw close. He said I will draw close to you. I wrote this little phrase that says this, yielding equals surrender equals obedience equals submission to the authority of God in your life. Yielding equals surrender equals obedience equals submission to the authority of God in your life. Yielding equals surrendering equals obedience equals submission to the authority of God in your life. If you didn't get it, let me say it one more time. Yielding equals surrender equals obedience equals submission to the authority of God in your life. Let me say it one more time in English because some people aren't getting it. Yielding equals surrender equals obedience equals submission to the authority of God in your life. Surrender! 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 Give up the contest! Let the well of living water erupt. It is a fountain of everlasting life. Let it bubble out of your belly. Let it bubble. 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 Let it bubble out of your life. What? Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God? Are you not your own? For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit, man. Glorify God in your body. For the Holy Ghost lives on the inside of you. 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 He lives in 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 you. Mama, 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 hallelujah. 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 like fire shut up in your bones
Some of us need some of us need to start working out. Praise God. <laughs> start running. <clears throat> See when we yield.
Okay. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll get it. All right. So when we, when we yield to the anointing by having an open heart to receive whatever God desires to do in us. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Because he's in you. That's what happens when you pray in other tongues. You're surrendering to the power of another. When you, when you lift your hands in your prayer time and your private time and you start praying in tongues, then you're yielding to the greater one on the inside of you. When he speaks to you and you hear his voice and you obey it, then you're yielding to the greater one on the inside of you. <clears throat> because you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You have the answer to the world's problems, the world's issues. There is there is no high like the most high. I'm just telling you, there, there is no, there is no, there's nothing, no drug, no alcohol, no honky tonk, nothing, 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 nothing. There is no high like the most high. And once, once, once you get to that high, guess what? You can go higher. And then, and then when you get high there, guess what happens? You get to go higher. Praise God. Amen. It's not limited. I mean, I, I kind of understand a little bit with drug addicts because when I got into that accident five or six years ago and they juiced me in that emergency room. Yeah. I understand. I understand. I understand. Where alcoholics and druggies are always looking for the next high, and they can't get it because once they've gone, they hit a ceiling. But with God, whew. I mean, I had one. I mean, there was one lady in the service. She never had alcohol, drugs, or anything, and then she got intoxicated with the Holy Ghost, and she said, "I guess this is what it means to be drunk. I've never been drunk in my life, but this is amazing." <clears throat> because when you think that you've gone. So when you, when you think you've gone so high, higher, 
then you can go higher. And then when you think you've gone deeper, you can even go, 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 go deeper. When you think you've gone wider, you can go as, from as far as the east is to the west with, <clears throat> with the Lord. With, with the Lord. With the Lord. Listen, if you're watching live streaming, you're at happy hour, leave that place. And just, and just, come, just come to 600 West, Dr. Martin Luther King. The drinks are for free. You keep your money, praise God, amen. You, won't have to, you don't have to buy anything. We're serving new wine from heaven. And... and What, what, we, people today, <laughs> they all look really messed up. I feel it. Okay, I just want to make sure. Am I, am I repeating my words? Do I find myself repeating myself? Okay. People get off work at 5 o'clock, but at about 3, they talk about going to happy hour. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Friday night, they lose it, end up where God knows where Saturday morning, and then hung over all day Sunday to get up to go do it again on Monday. And, by, and then they got bragging rights. Oh, man, we party. That was really awesome. Yeah. What happened to you? Well, I don't know. I ended up where I don't know where I ended up at. And then uh, you should have seen me. I was puking my guts out in the toilet. It was the most amazing thing. And then I was in this place, you know, and I thought the oven drawer was the bathroom, so I did a squat in there, and, you know, and then I... And it didn't have a handle on it, you know, for some reason. But, man, I was relieved. What a wonderful time. Come and join us. Don't look at me like that. Some of you used to be in the world. Matt was telling me, he goes, there was one day I ended up on the other side of the city, and I didn't know where I was at. Don't remember where I parked my car. What do we want? We want to get them born again, and then bring them into the church and get religified. Don't give them a new wine to drink. Don't give them healing bread to eat. And then they think after a period of time, my God, what, I was having more fun on Friday night at the honky tonk than I'm having in this place. Well, brother Jack, I don't think that drinking things in the Bible can't be in there. I think that move right there is a move of the devil. Like what peop the devil makes people happy? What the heck? <laughs> 
Sorry, this is not the kundalini spirit. <laughs> the kundalini spirit has crept into the church. How dumb can you get and still breathe? Few fries short of a happy meal. That's what that, that's what that happened then. They didn't get their toy toy in the happy meal. That's the reason why they're Listen to this. Listen. Isaiah prophesied of this. What's happening tonight? He prophesied. Isaiah 29 verse 9 out of the Amplified Version of the Bible. Listen. Stop and wonder at this prophecy if you choose. Whether you understand it or not, soon you will witness the actual event and be confounded reluctantly. Blind yourself now if you choose. Take your pleasure, then be blinded at the actual occurrence. They are drunk, but not from wine. They stagger, but not from strong drink, but from spiritual stupor. Oh, he prophesied of the day of Pentecost 400 years. Right here. Did that not happen on the day of Pentecost? Isaiah prophesied it. Listen, you Pentecostal preachers, you Holy Ghost drinkers, when they criticize you, read them this verse, Isaiah 29.9 out of the Amplified. Stop and wonder at this prophecy. If you choose, whether you understand it or not, how many times people have said, I just don't understand that. I don't understand, what's, oh, I don't understand why people are so happy in church. I just, I just don't understand that. <clears throat> I don't understand people falling out under the power of God. Read John, read, 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 read John chapter 18, where 700, 700 fell under the power of God when Jesus said, I am He. Stop and wonder at this prophecy if you choose whether you, un- <coughs> whether you understand it or not. Soon you will witness. That bubbled right out of my belly right there. That was a bubble up. <clears throat> whether, you, whether, whether you understand it or not, be confounded, relu- blind yourself now. If you blind, be blinded at the actual occurrence. Well, I just don't, I, don't, I just don't believe in that falling out. I'll never attend another service. What you going to do in heaven... When the anointing of God, there ain't no back door, honey. When the anointing falls in heaven, you can't go, oh, I don't like this. I'm walking out the door. There ain't no back door in heaven, baby. You can't hide in heaven. You can't even run. You might be able to run out of a service now, but wait till you get to heaven, baby. There ain't no running in Jesus' service except around the sanctuary. That's the only running you'll be doing. That's the only rejoicing you'll be doing. That's the hand. <laughs> yeah, you won't be able to run out of the service because you're scared. You're scared. Chicken. You chickens. Come on down. The water's fine. Come on. I just don't. I just don't believe in that. Well, when you need a miracle, you will. Stop and wonder at this prop. <laughs> James, how you doing? <laughs> Brother, I love you, man. I love you, man. James, I love you, man. I love you. I love you. James, I love you, man. I love you. 
stop, stop and wonder at this prophecy if you choose. Whether you understand it or not, you will witness the actual, witnessing the actual event. Be confounded reluctantly. Blind yourself now if you choose. Take your pleasure. Then be blinded at the actual curse. They are drunk, but not from wine. They stagger, but not from strong drink, but from spiritual stupor. The Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost. I had a preacher tell me, Oh, you can't, you can't have a move of God every service. I said, says who? You? No, the Holy Ghost is only limited to once a year camp meetings. So the only time he moves is going to camp meeting. If he moves outside a camp meeting, it's out of order. No, he, he, he'll show up at the most inconvenient time. Amen. Amen. When you don't think he's going to show up, he shows up. <clears throat> I remember the first time when my wife, Pastor Marie, she's doing the nursery because she likes to serve and help out so that y'all can be blessed. But we were in a church service on a Sunday morning. It's Faith Covenant Fellowship or Faith Covenant, or, you know, I can't remember. Praise <laughs> I can't, I can't that seems to happen too when you're intoxicated. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Y'all know that, right? I can't remember what happened last night. <laughs> okay. So we, it was a Sunday morning service. The pastor was preaching. And Pastor Marie and I were sitting on the back row, right? I mean, not in the back row, on the second row, right behind the pastor's wife. Yeah. You don't know if you're coming or going. So you don't know if you're in the front row, the back row, or, or the second row. So she was sitting on the second row. And suddenly she started laughing uncontrollably. And it was just her. 50, 60 people in the meeting Sunday morning. Y'all remember that, right? Do you remember, do you remember that? When she started right there laughing. She started laughing and she's hold, trying to hold it in. Because you know Pastor Marie. She's just you play no games, you know, straight shoot straight shooter. You know, she's <laughs> she's just, you know? <laughs> Y'all know. Okay. Yeah, so all this, she starts, she's like, she puts her hands over her mouth. I mean, she's hold, trying to hold in. And then she's like, bah! I mean, it's like, it just erupted. Fell on the floor. Tried to keep her skirt down and everything. And she's, and she's now she's weeping and she's la- she's the only one. She said, I didn't expect that. I said, that's the reason why it happened. Because she'd been saying this. I want to laugh. Why do I always have to cry? For six months. all of, <laughs> Six months. I want to laugh. Why does everybody else get to laugh and I don't get to? Careful what you tell to talk to the Lord. I'm t- he'd be like, okay, just you. My pastor's wife, Adonica Howard Brown, she was in Dr. Rodney's meetings for six to nine months, never got the joy once. Two meetings a day, 
and Dr. Rodney's meetings and didn't get the joy. The day she said, okay, Lord, I don't care. It doesn't have to. I'm not more concerned about it anymore. You don't have to do it. Bam! <laughs> Fell on the floor, snot coming out of her nose. <laughs> I mean, just rivers. Rivers of snotty water. If Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Repent ye therefore, that times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. It's not our timetable. It's His timetable. It's not our way. It's His way. It's not our service. It's His service. And we just learn to yield to Him and surrender to Him because what happens in here can happen out there. What happens in here can happen in your car. What happens in your car can happen in your house. What happens in your house can happen at the street. It doesn't matter. It's just yielding to him. Surrendering to him. I'll close with this last story. And then we'll see what the Lord would have us do. Back in the early 90s when I had that encounter with God. In 1993, the second week of March on a Monday night at Carpenter's Home Church at 10 o'clock at night, where God threw me out of that pew, put his treasure within my earthen vessel. I had a janitorial company at, the, at that time. <clears throat> and we had two um, chili restaurants that we cleaned in the morning times. And I remember just reading the word constantly and listening to the word. I still do that, but just constantly. And then I, we, we coined, Marie and I coined a phrase, God moments. Like when you're just minding your own business and then the presence of God just comes on you. So <clears throat> there was this one time I had, I was listening to worship music and stuff like that. And, and so I was in the men's restroom and I was cleaning the sink and I went over to the urinal. And when I went over to the urinal to clean the urinal, the presence of the Lord fell on me to the point that I knelt down by the urinal. And I just started working. And then I'm thinking, and I started weeping, bawling uncontrollably. And I tried to contain myself because I thought to myself, if the manager walks in here and sees me kneeling by the urinal, you're done. And then the Lord said, I want you. And I've anointed you to go to the sewage of humanity to redeem them. For the time is short and the days are evil. And I did say to the Lord, I said, no, not here. I did tell him, why here? Could you just do it out there or something? I mean, why did you have to do it here in the urinal area? See, it happens at the most. There were times on the road when we were traveling like, relentlessly. There was one particular year I about killed myself. We were only home four weeks out of the entire year. Pastor Rodney, I talked to him. He said, do you want to live, son? I said, yes, sir. He said, you need more balance in your life. I said, yes, sir. But we would have what you call God moments where we'd be worshiping God in the car and we'd literally have to pull over the side of the road worshiping God. We had a state trooper pull up behind us. Sir, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just getting directions. (laughs) 
Oh, okay, I was just checking on you. Yeah, it's all good. I'll tell you one more story, and then we'll close with this, and we'll see what God will do. Praise God. We were in a revival service in North Carolina, and there was the detective, police officer, that came to the meeting. She got intoxicated, seriously hardcore intoxicated. So she had a couple friends with her. So they're in the car. Like one was in the passenger seat, two were in the back seat. She's driving. They're cackling and carrying on, having a wonderful time. Well, she's going through these small towns. And you can be at 60 miles an hour one moment, and it dropped down to 30 miles an hour in these small towns. Well, they're just carrying on. Well, she went through this town at 60 miles an hour and didn't realize that she ran through a 30-mile-an-hour zone. Guess what happened? Her friends started laughing even more. She's sobering up real quick. Police officer, she rolls down the window. Yes, sir, officer. Driver's license registration, ma'am. The girls. (laughs) She's like, shh, shh. Driver's license registration, ma'am. Have y'all been drinking tonight? That's what he said. Have y'all been drinking tonight? She goes, she goes, no, sir, we, we just got out of church. Wait here. So he's running the tags, he's running everything. Another police officer shows up behind him. So he comes over and the girls are, ah! okay. Ma'am, would that be a Pentecostal church? (laughs) Yes, sir. He goes, carry on, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. And he gave back the license and he went and he sat down and they were like, "Ah!" True story. True story. Thank you for joining us this week. It's our honor to serve you and be part of your walk with Christ. Don't forget to check out our website at lifefamilychurch.net. Have a blessed week and remember, the best is yet to come.